Amen. Praise God. His presence is in this place, and we bless him this morning. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the second chapter of Genesis? Genesis chapter 2. And our Old Testament reference will be Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We'll start there this morning. So Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then our New Testament reference is in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God, and you shall worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. 
So we want to begin this morning uh, by basically stating a theme this morning. And really part one of this series is that God wants us to give up control. God wants us to give up control. As we've read in the text this morning, Adam and Eve disobeyed God thinking they knew better than him, which had disastrous consequences. God gave a command. God gave instruction. Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God in this instance and decided to not follow what God had told them to do. Number two, while being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus denied his own impulses and followed God's will. What can we what can we draw from this this these two ideas? I I think that we can first of all acknowledge that temptation, this this desire to take control, uh, can happen anywhere, and uh, under just about any conditions. Uh, you know, have you have you ever been just sitting in church and been tempted to to do something? Uh, you know, not not it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. I mean, just. You could be sitting in church and be tempted, you know, have a thought come to your head that you know does not please God. And you're wondering, man, where does this thing, where is this coming from? I'm in the presence of God amongst the people of God. And yet these thoughts are bombarding my mind when my desire is to be focused on God and 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 really listening for what he wants to say and being submitted to him so that the Holy Spirit can do what he wants to do in my life. Have you ever been there? And, you know, we look at these two stories and we see that, you know, Eve was in more of a perfect world at that time, but Jesus was in a sinful world. And so whether things in your life are going well or whether things are, are you know, whether your world is great or whether there's hell in your world, uh, you know, temptation can come. Uh, you know, Eve was, you know, when I think about this, I believe that Eve was in a stress-free time, uh, but Jesus was in a stress-filled time. And so whether you're under stress or, or whether you're not under stress, temptation can visit you. And both Adam and Eve and Jesus, both in both instances with temptation, what the devil sought to do was to challenge their authority. You know, he, he comes to Eve and he says, well, you can't do this, can you? Oh, well, yes, you can do this, uh, you know, to Jesus. Well, if you are the son of God, then, then prove it you know, by doing such and such a thing. So the devil tries to challenge our authority and to get us to focus on what we can or cannot do based on what God has said. And then in both instances, really what the devil has done and what he does to all of us is the devil really speaks to our flesh and he speaks to what the flesh wants. You know, you can't have a conversation with the devil for too long without him taking you somewhere. You know, have you ever felt like the world, the flesh and the devil were just taking you on a ride and, and you had no control over where you were going? You were just kind of along for the ride. But but the devil was trying to, 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 to take them somewhere. You know, Eve's journey seems to be more mental, trying to get her to process, uh, you know, well, no, you can do this. And if you do this, this is what will happen. 
Uh, and Jesus' journey seems to be, you know, a little bit more physical. The devil is saying, you know, if, command these stones, we make bread. And then he is, he is literally taking him to different places and, and then tempting him. But really, Scripture affirms the idea that they were both tempted at three places, which you all know, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And and, and all of those things are, are really attached to and, and, and deal with the flesh. You know, Satan came to where Adam and Eve and to where Jesus were all at. And, you know, I think that says to us that that we don't have to go looking for the devil. <laughs> uh, he's going to come and find you. He's going to come and look for me. He's going to come to where we are. But you know what? He wants to have a conversation with us, not so that we can stay where we are, but so he can take us somewhere. Uh, you know, write this down. Somewhere, somewhere on your paper, write this down. Remember that Satan's goal is always to lead you to a place where you will exercise the will of your flesh Instead of the will of God. You know, those cartoons that you used to see uh, really do capture where we as, as men and women find ourselves. You know, you've got the little, uh, you know, the little angel version of yourself on one shoulder and, and the little devilish side of yourself. And, and both are talking to you. And you're, you don't, you're not forced to do anything, but you're in the position to decide who you're going to listen to. Uh, you know, our, my dad, our bishop, used to always tell us that what you feed is what will lead. And and so the Holy Spirit of God is, is speaking to you in your spirit, and the devil is speaking to you, trying to rile up your flesh. But you, your soul man, you are the one in the control seat. You're in the control booth, and you get to decide are we going to listen to what my flesh is saying? Or are, am I going to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying? And so Satan wants us to stop inquiring about what God's will is and to start interviewing our flesh about what it would like. And asking God, what is your will concerning this situation and, and maintaining this mindset and this attitude of, of just, God, I'm walking with you and I'm constantly paying attention to what you're saying in the spirit so that on a moment's notice, I can respond to what you would have me do at any given time. And the devil wants us to stop acknowledging him in all of our ways so that he'll direct our path and to start interviewing our flesh, get a microphone out. Well, what do you think? You know, well, what do you want? You know, Satan is, uh, he's coming to us and he's saying, just like with Eve, well, I know what God said, but what do you want? I, I'm on your side and I'm trying to help you get what you want. But here's the thing. If you and I have the mind of Christ and we are carriers of the Holy Spirit, then we've been purchased by God. And for that reason, our life is not our own. Paul echoes those words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, where he says, for you know you have been brought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so if, if I'm God's and God is working in me by his spirit, then I'm being transformed so that God's desires become our desires. And as I began to think about these two stories, I thought, now why would I consult the devil? 
who's not submitted to God? And why would I consult my flesh, which had me under bondage and was not subject to God? Why would I consult either one of those to determine what I am or am not going to do? That doesn't make any sense, does it? But Satan challenged their authority. Satan challenged their authority, and he he, he sought to use their their emotions and, and, and their you know reasonings to get them to, to stop acknowledging God and what he said and to step out and do their own thing. Satan came and challenged their authority. And that's the way he's always going to come to you and to I. And he's going to get us to say, well, what can you do when you know you're in charge? Can you do this? Will you do this? You have the ability to do it. And so we have to know the devil's tactics. We have to know how he's coming. And we need to decide that we, because we're in Christ and we are are dead with him, we are raised and alive to Christ, that we are going to deny ourselves, that we are going to give up control. So how do we do that? How do we give up control? Let, let's let's outline a couple of things. Number one, we give up control. To give up control, we need to acknowledge that there is only one God, and you and I are not Him. You and I aren't Him. You know this idea of of of, of God is it's not just an issue of of control as I think about it, but I think too of of the motives behind what God does and the motives behind what I would do apart from God, but also the the outcomes of what God does versus what you and I do when we're not subject to, not in line with what God would tell us to do. Listen listen to this. In, in, In Psalms 111, verses 7 through 10, the, the, the psalmist singing this is saying this about God. It says, "The works of His hands are truth and justice; all His precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has ordained His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those." who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. You know, I read the the first part of that and I think, huh, it says that the works of God's hands are truth and justice. You know, I can't say that everything that I do finds its basis in truth, in reality. And and it says that God's, you know, the work of his hands are justice. And I, I can't always say that what I do is just. It says all his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. God's the only one who can say that everything that he does is done in truth and justice. That his precepts are sure. That what he does is upheld forever and ever. And what he does is performed in truth and uprightness. I can't say that about everything that I say and think and do. But God alone is the one for which we can say that. He's the one who we can say that about. And so 
I need to understand that that part of the reason I need to give up control is because, again, some of the things that I do are not done in truth and they're not just, they're not upright. What I do is not upheld forever and ever. But what God does is. And so if we're going to deal with this issue of giving up control, I have to acknowledge who is God. And he's God. I'm not. You're not. Number two, we have to, you have to deny yourself, i.e. your own impulses. And isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus kept pointing back to what God said. And then he denied his own impulses. You know, oftentimes we, these things come upon us. I told you these temptations come and, and we feel like we just have to respond to them. We feel like there's no way that we cannot reject them. But honestly, I can't is only a false statement because it's an incomplete statement. <laughs> write, write this down, write this down, write this down. I can't is only a false statement because it is an incomplete statement. The complete statement is, I can't, but Christ can. So when people say, well, I'm tempted to do this, and well, I want to do this, and I'm not sure if this is the will of God, or I know this is not the will of God, but the temptation, the desire to do it is just so strong, and I just cannot overcome it, tell them that's not true. <laughs> tell them, finish the statement. The complete statement is, I can't, but Christ can. Turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Jesus says in this passage, and it's clear, and it's it's why you're able to do it. In Luke 9 and 23, he says, and he, he, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, the life of a believer, the life of a disciple of Christ is that by God's grace, by God's divine enablement, that we willingly choose to deny ourselves, die to the flesh, and follow Christ's directive. Follow what he would have us do. Look at, look at here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verses 12 through 14, turn there. Look what the Apostle Paul says here. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So what's he saying here? Any temptation we deal with is common. Everybody is facing it. Everyone is dealing with it. But it said God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But he provides an escape 
look at this, so that we are able to endure it. That's an important point because there are so many people that believe that when temptation comes, then I pray and then the Spirit of God shows up and all of a sudden the temptation just leaves me. And that's not what Paul says here. He's not saying when you pray, the temptation leaves. That we rely on God and and then the temptation leaves us. But it says that God gives us the ability to endure. The ability to endure. The the ability to stand and to not give in. And how many of you know, when you do that, eventually that temptation, the, 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 the strength of that temptation will subside. I think it might have been back in that verse that we read earlier. In when Jesus was tempted, um, back in in Matthew four, uh, it might be in the King James version that it says that the the devil left him, and looked for another opportunity to to tempt him. And I think that's the way we live. We live through these cycles, and again, the temptation. God gives grace so that each time we're tempted. We can endure it. He doesn't automatically take it away, but he gives us grace to endure. Number three, instead of grabbing the reins, acknowledge and confess your fears. I mean, isn't that what happens? Temptation comes and and we want to grab hold of the reins. We want to grab hold and, 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 reroute things and, and, and redirect things. But, you know, the reason we do that is because we're fearful. The reason we do that is because we're overwhelmed. We're scared. And so we want to grab hold of the reins and, and control things. And what we need to do is confess our fears to God. I'm not going to read it all, but if you look over in Psalm 46... And this is familiar to many of us. Psalm 46 at verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar roar and foam, though the mountain quakes at its swelling. Selah. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, I, I felt like I, I've been through some things, but I haven't been through things where it just looked like the sky was falling in and I was the the I was going to be overtaken by, you know, physical waters or, you know, there was going to be an earthquake and, and literally the foundation that I was standing upon was literally dissipating beneath my feet. But I can I can. I can recall sometimes when I felt like that, even though physically wasn't happening, where I felt like that in my mind. And the Bible says that God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so they said, because God is a present help and because we're able to look to him, they said they're not going to fear, even though their very world is in a swirl and seems like it's about to crash down on them. 
they will not fear. And I like this passage, and you should go back and read this, but this passage, it ends by saying that it says, cease striving and know that I am God. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Salah. So God will be exalted. God is not going to allow anything to, to overtake us, to, to, to get in our way and to stop us. He is going to give us grace so that we don't have to get, grab hold of the reins. And so we need to confess our fears to God. We need to say, God, this is what I'm concerned with. And and just understand that, that God is our protection, our help. And as we confess those things to him and look to him, God will respond. Might not be in our time, but God is faithful to respond. And God will give us what we need. And that takes us to point number four. We need to appropriate grace. Appropriate grace. When those times come of fear, after we decide we're not going to grab hold of the reins and we decide that we confess our fears to God, we can look to God to give us divine enablement to continue to not grab hold of the reins and to be faithful to allow him in his way, in his time, to work these things out. But we have to appropriate the grace and we, we, we have to not, you know, we have to be humble. And we can't act as though we need God. We we need God for some things, but we don't need God for other things. We we can't say, well, you know what? I I'll take care of this on my own, and I'll give the big stuff to God. And but in all things, we need to take them to God. We need to confess our fears, even in the small things that don't seem like they just completely overwhelm us. Because that's when God gives grace. God gives grace when we go to Him. And confess our fears and acknowledge that we need him. You know, James 4, 6 and 7, it tells us, it says, but he gives more grace. It says, therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Look at this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We resist and the devil flees. We resist and God does a work and, and enables us to stand and to endure. We just keep submitting to God. Just keep submitting to what God has said. And eventually the devil will flee. You have it there on your outline, I believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Paul says, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well confident with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we appropriate grace. We acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our inability to uh, handle the situation. 
We acknowledge our in a, we acknowledge our own frustrations. We acknowledge our own fears. We confess them to God. And we, we, we say, God, I am weak and, and incapable of dealing with this. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your power to endure. And God, in his faithfulness, gives grace. His grace, which he says is sufficient for us. It's perfected in our weakness. So we, God gives us grace, but we have to appropriate it. We have to appropriate it. And oftentimes, we find ourselves in places where God gives grace, but we don't appropriate it. God says, I will give you the ability to endure, but we decide, well, I'm, I don't want, I'm not going to endure because it's tough. It's hard. It's easier to give in than to, to just, you know, it's easier to give in than to appropriate this grace and endure. I'm tired. But really, your win, you know, is... Is that God is that you would get what God has for you, that you would appropriate the grace that God gives to us. And finally, number five, we have to recognize that this idea of being tempted and giving up control to God, we need to understand that this is a reoccurring cycle and not. A one-time event. See, there are some times where we the, people often have this misconception that we will grow in Christ to the point that temptation will no longer ever be an issue for us. You know, I can honestly confess that when I accepted Christ, there were some things that tempted me greatly. And as soon as I accepted Christ, it was like the shackles, the chains were removed. And those things did not tempt me anymore. The, the appeal of them was not were not there. It wasn't there anymore. But then there were other things that the temptation, the draw, was diminished, but it was still there. And and there were I still had to trust God and I still had to go to God and and ask God for grace. But then there were some things that are still a battle. And I battle every day trying to deal with them. And, you know, some of them are, are very overt and blatant, and some are, are, are real small and what others might consider to be insignificant. But I believe that this reoccurring cycle, as long as we live in this life, we're going to be tempted. And I believe that, that that is the case because I believe John Wesley said that, that we're being perfected. And he talked about this idea of Christian perfection. And, and, and some people have an issue with that, that, well, we're going to be perfect on this earth. But, but what Wesley said was that perfection is a perfecting perfection. And so between now and the day that we, that Jesus appears and, and we see him face to face and we look like him, we're going to be constantly in a, a, a time and a phase in a process of perfection. And so I believe that the temptation is always there because we're going to be dealing with that as long as we're here on earth in these bodies. Uh, look at what Paul says. Look in Romans chapter 8 and verses 20 through 23. Paul says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Verse 23, look at this. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. What did I tell you before? That the devil is always going to try to deal with and come at our flesh. And so I just believe that until Jesus comes, we're always going to be dealing with temptation. Excuse me. Always going to be dealing with temptation. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. You know, I believe that I believe that in one sense, this is a good thing. And God in his wisdom knew what he was doing. I mean, can you imagine if our our carnal, our fleshly sin nature wasn't changed? And when we received salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we immediately became beings that had bodies like Jesus living forever in the spirit, but still having that nature, that selfish nature that would seek to protect ourselves and do what's best for us at the sake of others. I believe that this idea of temptation and the fact that it's a reoccurring cycle, not a one-time event, is important because it affirms the idea that we are always going to need God. That there's never a time when we get so far, when we grow so much in God, that we no longer need his help. (laughs) We no longer need his presence. We no longer need his power. And so that helps us to, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Dr. Tony Evans that said, you know, if, if it wasn't for the flesh and its influence on us, many of us would never have conversations with God. We would go along our day satisfied, going through our routine, and never acknowledge God. The fact that we always deal with temptation says that we are always going to have to give up control and we are always going to need God's presence, God's power. And that should encourage us, that should should cause us to want to always look to him in every instance. So, as people who are born in sin and shaped, born and shaped by the power of sin and our own fear, We are used to having control over so many things in our life, and we often fail to seek God's will for our life, and we try to call the shots. But for those of us who are in Christ, we need to understand that we have been reborn, and God wants us to deny ourselves and to give him final say in everything when we are charting out our course of life, and God has given us the grace to do it. Will we will you do that today? That that's what God requires. You know, he says if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's gro- that's job 1 for the disciple is that we give up control. 
you know, some people think, well, I, I, I give up control on some things, but not on other things. And well, this is a process for the disciple. Job one is to give up control. And God is calling us as his people to do that. That's the word of the Lord today, that God is calling us to give up control to him. That his will would be performed in our life and that we would be transformed into the image of Christ through the power and work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And so I invite you today to look at your own life and to ask the question, what areas am I giving up on? And what things have I chosen not to give up on? And just acknowledge that he's God, you're not. Acknowledge that you need his grace. Acknowledge that that life can be difficult and, and, and frustrating sometimes. But even though I have these impulses, I also have grace. And I need to submit to God. And I need to do it every day and at all times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge, we acknowledge that you're God. We acknowledge our own inability to love you, to serve you, to be used by you in service to others. That, Lord, we are not equipped for it apart from your grace. Lord, there are things that tempt us, and we often want to interview our flesh. But I pray that you would help us today to seek after you in all things. And yield to what you've told us to do as you give us the grace to do it. Bless now your people and help us to give up control in every area of our life. In the name of Jesus we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I've prayed, but if there are things that you know that you need to give up control of, I'd invite you to come down to the altar. And just make a confession of that to God. And and ask God specifically for grace to give up control of that to Him. Won't you come?